Welcome to this episode of the People Data for Good podcast. I'm Al Adamson, and in this episode, I had the great pleasure of talking with Jared Valdron. Jared is one of the most creative people analytics leaders I've had the pleasure of coming across. He has been at Google and Namely. Uh, he created the capability at GitHub, and he has his own project, which I'll let him talk about. It's a fascinating discussion that covers everything from data aggregation analysis, distribution, to being aware of biases. So without further ado, here's my talk with Jared. Hi, welcome, Jared. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Al? I'm doing great as well, and it's great to be talking with you. I know that you're in transition. You're on a move to Austin, but you're here in the Bay Area for the time being. So if you would, please introduce yourself and you know a little bit about you know how you got in the field of people analytics. Yeah, no worries at all. And yeah, it's a big time of transition. It's been a great time of reflection as well uh, around sort of where I've been, where, I'm come from, where I've come from, all that kind of good stuff. Um, so yeah, I'm Jared, and you know I often describe myself as a people data generalist. I do a little bit of everything and have my fun. I always say I can do eighty percent of eighty percent of what you need to be done um, in all places. But once you want a specialist, you know that's a good time to start building out the function. Uh, so how I got into this space, um, I sort of have a, a pretty long meandering journey. Um, I was actually uh, born uh, in Canada um, in uh, far east coast in sort of a maritime kind of region, a place called New Brunswick. And, you know, it was a great incubation environment for me. And at the same time, though, I didn't get too much exposure to what different career paths um, were out there. So for the longest time, I actually thought I was going to be a physicist or a scientist because that's, you know, what I had exposure to. Uh, and I had a wide variety of experiences around that. And I kept on feeling this experience where I kept on thinking, okay, I love um, you know physics and science, but I also was always had this sort of this uh, interest in the social sciences and in people. And I took a great AP psychology course, and I always felt myself drawn there to the point that I kept on believing, oh, I'm going to be a physicist by day, and then I'm going to be a social scientist by night. I'm just going to you know, run experiments in bars. And, and at some point in my in my university, I thought, wow, if I'm willing to do that in my spare time. That'd be pretty fun to do as a job. Um, so I went through a wide variety of experiences. I had the great opportunity uh, to, you know, work um, at Harvard for a summer doing research on unconscious bias. And something I learned was that every time I was doing research, I always kept on being drawn towards um, the application of science to work um, and psychology to work. And that really drove me to think about what do I want to do. And I, I ended up doing graduate school in industrial organizational psychology. But even there, I, I kept on feeling like a lot of the work that was happening for me was a little bit too academic um, and a little bit separate from practice. Um, and that's where I actually got in touch with some folks uh, from Google. So I actually don't know how many people know this story. But my first real exposure to people analytics was that Google for the rework conference were, had this special kind of application for you know emerging researchers uh, to present some of their research and, and i applied and i did a super stereotypical video showing sort of snow in the background being in canada and i ended up getting i ended up getting in and through that i really learned wow there's so many really passionate smart people working on this um in you know silicon valley and i really saw a different path than i saw before around what i could realistically do with my career in my life and that sort of drove me towards people analytics. Um, I ended up doing a lot of consulting around that. And from there, um, I ended up joining uh, my Giga GitHub where I built uh, the you know, people analytics from the ground up and had you know, so much fun. I've left recently, uh, but uh, GitHub will always have a really special part of my heart. Well, you have done some amazing work. I've had the privilege of hearing about it firsthand at our events over the years. One of the things that's always struck me is that you have the, not only passion, but you have the ability to actually create new products. Uh, it's long been said that, hey, you know, we can do research uh, 
but you know, what's going to be sustainable, you know, mm -hmm. what's going to stick around beyond the person who's actually, you know, putting this all together and, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, because I know you're working on developing your know, products, uh, but can you just share your philosophy and particularly around that point, the you know, people analytics function building capability, as opposed to, you know, doing research behind a, you know, behind a curtain somewhere? For sure. I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, your role in people analytics is to you know, serve the organization. And there's a lot of things that are really exciting for research that might not have much practical application. Um, you know, the joke I always like to give is, you know, if you ask a whole bunch of people about how they feel about their salary and you have no intention of changing their salary, you know, that might be interesting for research, um, but you're not going to lead to a business decision or a business outcome. I think, you know, for my philosophy, I think, you know, personally, and this is, you know, um, related to my professional, but I think that I don't like to do the same thing more than three times in a manual way. And that, that's sort of, this, it's this thing that happens in my head where I realize, okay, can this process be automated? Um, the story I like to tell is even, um, I got a new manager at GitHub and I used to run one-on-ones with Google Sheets. Uh, or sorry, with Google Docs. And the thing with Google Docs is that automatically when you add something new, it's going to push down the content before. But, Google, but a new manager wanted to work with Google Sheets. And there was this new element of friction in that you needed to have, um, you, I need to manually add seven or eight rows each individual time and, and these sort of common kind of labels to that one-on-one. -on -one. And even that was a little bit too much friction for me. So I actually learned that with Google Sheets, you can write Google app scripts. Um, and you can automate that process to add, oh, 10 lines with this kind of um, label on a certain time timer. So that's just a quick example of, you know, me trying to solve for myself in a lot of ways. Me seeing, okay, here are some things that I'm doing manually. Is there a way that this could be automated? Um, and I always like to say is that, you know, even at GitHub, you know, one of my major goals um, when I was leaving the company, and I, even as I thought about the function I was building, was to ensure it was set up for success beyond me. Um, that I wasn't that single point of failure. Um, and that's something that I care about a lot um, is being able to create something that's sustainable and that people's attention and effort is directed towards things with the highest impact, the highest value, and that we also let robots do what robots do best. <laughs> Just do stuff, and particularly if it's replicable. And this is where I get all fired up personally is you, know, you understand the nature of the work and what we're trying to do with people analytics and you mentioned the experience at google and github and and other places however there are chros or heads of talent that haven't grown up you know with this discipline and so both based on your experience and what you see in the world you know how do you educate leaders who are resourcing people analytics functions. So you actually have what's necessary to create this ongoing capability. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, you know, a couple of thoughts come to mind. I think that some folks that I've chatted with, they have this issue of being able to get that buy-in, that investment around people analytics, or even this desire to make decisions based on the data they serve up. You know, for better or worse, um, in my career, I haven't run into that issue. I've run into the opposite issue of people wanting to make too many decisions based on data that might even be a little bit too limited to justify making that decision yet. And I think that's where a real point uh, of education um, is needed in a lot of cases that we have so many people who are excited about data, they're seeing the power of data, but sometimes there isn't as much of that background around, you know, what data are reliable, what data should you actually be making decisions based on? So that's where I actually see a lot of opportunity for education. At the same time, something I always like to say is that I want to share some of my perspective um, with, you know, CHROs, with stakeholders, but I also learn so much from them. Um, I always mm -hmm. like to say that, hey, being in people analytics, a little bit by design, I am blind. I am focused on the data part of the story. And there's so many parts of the story that can, are not easily measurable, that are easily quantifiable or even um, in our databases that you know, our HRBPs, the CRHROs, they just had that in their head. So I always like to say, whenever I, bring, whenever I identify sort of a, an insight in the data that I find surprising, and I bring it towards an HRBP or a head of talent or head of uh, HR, one of us is gonna learn something. Either it's gonna be surprising to them, or they're gonna teach me about why it isn't surprising to them. 
and I'm going to learn some context about the organization. Longer term, um, uh, I just want to say that I think that a lot of people on Alex teams, they build these internal resources um, and they might not be getting that buy-in or that use um, from the CHROs and they're concerned about sort of the interest in data. My personal perspective, this is a little bit of, you know, self-blaming is that that's the responsibility of a people analytics function to make that resource, you know, use, you know, useful to make it uh, something that is an efficient use of their time. Um, and if you're not seeing that, then that's a real opportunity to really rethink really how you're approaching it. Yeah, I there's so many things that I'd like to dig deeper on in what you shared. Uh, just for example, the need to create new data or being aware of the limitations of the data, you know, the, the governance processes by which to consume the data, what stories need to be told, like myth busting and affirming and, and things like that. So, you know, just to tee up some of the things that we're going to talk about today, but I want to ask you, you know, this is that when you are interacting with executives, uh, you know, having this open mind, being open to rethink things, to coin what Adam Grant has put forth in, in his book, is the idea that we need to understand as people analytics professionals, what is in the heads of our internal customers, how, how they think and those hypotheses in turn get, you know, tested or, and validated or, 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 or busted up. Is that how you interact to set the stage for the kind of business readiness, if you will, for the insights that you're generating? If not, you know, what are some of the nuances there? Yeah, for, for sure. I'm definitely of that mind. You know, actually, I have a personal um, journey right now around learning more about sort of the core financials of business, uh, because I truly believe that HR has somewhat of a practice of getting a little bit siloed sometimes and thinking very much in an HR sense. And I think that realistically, there's, you know, there's other ways that you can talk about these same metrics that might be even more um, accessible to leaders who come from different domains. Um, so I'm a big fan of meeting people where they're at. And admittedly, I've definitely not done that well at certain points in my career, where I get so excited about the data, I wanna talk about all the little nuances, um, but I always take a step back and, I, and think, okay, what is what are these these people's priorities? You know, what are they thinking about? What's getting them keeping them up at night? Um, and how can data inform how they think about it? And that's that's a key difference for me. And I sort of alluded to this before is that I'm a big fan of data informed decision making and not data driven decision making, uh, because there's that whole quote I'm going to misquote it of you know not everything is valuable is easily measured and not everything that's easily measured measured is valuable, right? Um, so I, would, I think that people analytics teams realistically have a lot of work to, oftentimes to engaging with their stakeholders and making sure that the resources they build aren't in a silo. And that's something, again, that I've struggled with and I've had to put a lot of work in around. But something I come back to is that I want to build things that are useful, that people actually you know, look at, that they actually use. And when that isn't the case, that is teaching me that I need to do something different. Yeah. And let's pick up on that point, because I, I love what you said about being data informed. And there's so much information hitting executives, uh, HR business partners, everyone around the organization, people, leaders who would be consuming our dashboards, reports, insights and, you know, for appropriate action. So there's this uh dilemma where, well, we don't want to overwhelm them, but we don't want to not have them consume the insight that could really be helpful, not only for team productivity, but for employee well-being and all these other, you know, inclusion, all these other good things. So can you speak to you know, how you market your capability and insights, you know, within your internal stakeholder, your internal customers? Yeah. Um, so how I, let's talk about building a people analytics function. These are things that, I, that I've learned over time. And this is also comes from mistakes that I've made uh, around it. I used to think that the best way to launch sort of people analytics capabilities, let's say dashboards, is to launch everything at once um, and have this big old sort of party, this big old smash. Um, and then I realized that really didn't help um, in a lot of ways. Yes, people got some excitement around it. But realistically, everyone was coming at the space of not knowing about how to deal with these at the base. 
even myself, as you know, at GitHub, oftentimes I was sort of the sole person who was handling this, I would get overwhelmed at a specific time. So when I think about actually building people analytics capabilities, uh, both from a bandwidth perspective and also from a, you know, getting this acclimated to the business perspective, I'm a big fan of starting small and with a specific um, part of the life cycle. So I'm a big fan of saying, okay, let's say we need to do this new dashboard, this new data infrastructure. I want to identify, okay, what is a high value kind of space where people have big questions right now that, it, that aren't being served? Maybe that's talent acquisition and, um, you know, speed of hire or something like that. Um, I want to spend a lot of energy to build that dashboard up and to really work with my stakeholders. And then I want to launch that to what I call champions. And I you know this is a silly term, but it's those people who, you know, they're already excited about data. They're already asking about it. I want to pilot that with them first, um, work through all the bugs. I don't want everyone to come to me at once and give all the same bugs. It's oftentimes you can get them from one person. And then after we've gone through that process, I'm going to launch more broadly to that team. And that person that was that champion is now going to be basically a secondary to me. They're going to be able to help um, their peers with these data products um, and be able to even explain it better than me sometimes because they're coming from the same place. Now, after I do that, I want to use that experience, that, uh, that particular you know, dashboard of those outcomes um, as kind of like a walking deck um, for other parts of the organization saying, hey, Here's what we did for talent acquisition. Here's what we did for speed to hire. What are you curious about? Um, and that's really what I found to be the most scalable kind of process when I go through um, that uh, that timeline. Well, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Easier said than done, mm -hmm. of course. <laughs> and the idea that once you start getting these champions on board, building credibility, yeah, how do you, in your experience and from the your network mm -hmm. of fellow people, analytics practitioners, how do you get more resources for additional headcount, for technology? What's that look like? Yeah, great. Um, so I'll talk about technology and headcount differently. So for technology, <laughs> I think it comes down to um, people hours as saying, okay, um, I could do this myself manually um, and take this amount of time or we have this automated. I ran into the case like this with, you know, hey, when I started at GitHub, a lot of our data infrastructure was actually quite manual. Um, I was actually manually sort of pulling things from APIs and the like, um, doing some R scripts um, to uh, basically massage the data and then linking it to Tableau. And then I was sending screenshots um, of, uh, you know, visualizations. And naturally there's a lot of time that was, that was being spent there um, that could have been spent elsewhere. So I think that bring it back to the bandwidth uh, around uh, what you can do um, and then what bandwidth could get opened up with a product. I think it also comes back to the experience. It wasn't a great experience for um, all of our stakeholders to have to reach out to me every single time to get a simple image of headcount every week, something like that, right? So because of that, I was able to essentially say here, hey, here's how data visualization, here's how Tableau could actually solve that need of having the data available when someone wants to look into it. Um, and here's how this data infrastructure product, I actually like using a product called Databricks, um, could really help automate some of these data pipelines. Um, so I think mm -hmm. that at the end of the day, um, companies I find are actually very um, generous in the people hours they are gonna throw at something and a little bit stingy sometimes in actually buying products. Uh, but when you can make a really strong business case of, okay, Here's you know the salary, and here's, this is how much time it's being taken, and here's even the, the capability, um, the additional capability we'd be able to offer if we were to get this product. I think that helps a lot. Now, when we actually get yeah. to um, the headcount uh, piece, um, I'm actually a big fan of not hunting for headcount. Um, what I like to do is I like to build progressively. So we just talked about my process of, okay, we're going to build capabilities, we're going to make that walking deck, and then we're going to see who else wants things built. From there, there might be a, you know, let's say five different products that people want built. And I will go to my stakeholders to them and I'll say, okay, I understand I, we need these built. Here's the timeline I can build those on myself. And if they say, oh, we, we, we would like that a little bit sooner, I say, well, that, I, that's outside of my capacity, but that's a conversation then around a longer term resource or a shorter term resource like a contractor to help supplement and get quicker to that endpoint. 
Um, I think that at the end of the day, you it's very much kind of you need to make sure that you've sold something before um, you add more people to, around it. Um, so I'm very big fan of going back from the priorities and the timelines uh, and then seeing if that informs a resourcing decision. Yeah, I just we've known each other for years now and I, I just love the way you think. I just say that out loud. I just, cause what you just described is the way, frankly, I think about mm. it and not to say that it's right or wrong, but I effectively, I just want to get back to this idea of understanding capacity because we're all constrained by time. And so I was saying that if we are a CHRO, if I'm a CHRO, and I understand that there's this need to develop a people analytics capability. I can hire someone such as yourself who's done it before and there can be an incremental build. Um, and then there's this case, particularly in healthcare, where I don't have time for an incremental build. You know, I need to do something different. I need kind of a life hack for my business. I need to just you know, do things differently. And then it invites the question, you know, how do I, you know, prioritize, you know, the systems, the people and technologies and, and so forth? Because many CHROs and heads of talent, whomever's going to commission this work and champion it, they don't have a background in people analytics and, you know, IO psychology and HR tech, you know. So my pointed question to you is if I am going to like really lean into this and invest in people analytics and workforce planning and, and do things differently, how would you coach them on the best first step or maybe first couple steps? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question, right? And I think, you know, what comes in, in my head, you know, is that, you know, I've looked at a lot of job postings for some of the first people analytics hire, and I don't really trust them very much, um, as in what is being asked for um, is often very different from what I perceive, you know, they might need. Um, and that's, again, because, you know, this is a lot of folks first sort of stab at this. So when I run into those situations, um, I don't care too much about what they're asking for. I come in and I say, here's what I can provide. Um, are you looking for somebody to handle this, to build a people analytics function from the ground up? Uh, and if so, here's what uh, resources I would need in order to do that. And here would be my approach. Um, now, when I think about somebody who's just uh, coming uh, and they want to build a people analytics function, it's it's funny. Uh, as you know, Al, I wrote a blog post about this thing maybe about a couple months ago because people analytics is exploding. Um, I think a lot of it is driven by this great reallocation of talent. Other people call it great resignation. Um, is that companies are really learning that if they are do not have a data informed uh, you know uh, perception on their talent, they're going to be behind. Um, and where I used to see companies hire at one thousand, I think that. These days, they're hiring at 300, 100 even. Mm -hmm. um, and, but because of that, there ends up being situations where companies want to invest in this before they know even what they might want to do with it, right? They're saying, oh, they, everyone's doing people analytics. We need to do people analytics so we don't get left behind. But what do we actually want as an outcome from it? So what I think about is I think that there's two routes to uh, sort of start um, investing in people analytics capabilities. One is to hire somebody, um, preferably somebody who's done it before uh, and will sort of outline their vision for how they could build up these capabilities. Um, I think that oftentimes generalists, uh, people who have wide variety of experiences end up being helpful. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, you need to be open to somebody saying, here's how I would build this um, and not be focused too much on what you have in your head. So that's one, one piece of advice I would give. The second piece would be, hey, do you actually need a person yet? Um, and that's actually a key question. This is, you know, somewhat, you know, if I want to build things internally for people analytics functions, kind of, you know, you know, fighting against myself, but uh, I have a long habit of doing this. But realistically, I think that there's a lot of companies who are hiring for their first people analytics person that realistically could be better served by getting a product. And when I think about products that could really help um, early stage startups around people analytics capabilities, um, I do think about, um, a company called Equitable is actually run by a couple of my friends, uh, sort of Gabe and Joseph and Ethan. And they essentially do a people analytics dashboard in a box. Um, they you know, handle all the integrations. Um, they you know, set up that dashboard for you to look at uh, and they work with folks on it. And for me, I think, wow, what they provide out of box and, 
is what took me, you know, years to actually build. And, and I love that build. It was so exciting for me to go through that. But when I think about that, that quickness, um, that speed of getting that insight, I think that's a great first step. Even if you don't use a product like that, that longer term, it gets you an idea for your handle on your data. I also think about, um, let's say when companies, one of the major use cases is actually, you know, hiring and quality of hire. How are we doing with respect to our hiring? And that's hard work. I, I'm an IO psychologist, industrial organizational psychologist by training. And actually looking at your hiring system to see if it's actually working effectively is not an easy thing, especially when oftentimes our applicant tracking systems like Greenhouse are siloed from our, our human resources information systems like our workdays. There is an upcoming startup I've been keeping an eye on uh, called Searchlight um, that is doing a lot of the sort of work that's really looking at that quality of hire. It's really automating that quality of hire for companies. Um, and then, as you know, I have my own startup around this space, uh, but I won't talk about it too much yet. But realistically, I would really encourage um, companies to think, how much do we really need to reinvent the wheel here um, at, the, at this stage of, of our company lifecycle versus leveraging what other folks have learned from other companies um, and dealing with that a little bit more set up kind of product. Yeah, not, I, yeah, absolutely love it. And I wanted to talk about your product mm -hmm. here in a bit. And I also want to talk about the process by which you went through mm -hmm. to identify that there was that need. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to talk about what you just touched on, where, yeah, you can secure a technology. But what do you think, too, for the role of outsource providers for people analytics? Mm -hmm. And yeah, like, I, I, I'm not going to jump into names because then I'm going to forget somebody and then I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, but there is a case where it's not the core competitive advantage of an organization to create a people analytics mm. function and hire, retain, enable all that stuff. And there can be, particularly in this day and age, working with a partner that that is their core competency to make sure that they're hiring the right people, enabling them with the right technologies. And effectively, now you're writing a check in large part to a third party. Now, that does not mean that we don't need somebody in an organization to interact, facilitate, package, you know, do that, you know, relationship management within an organization. But wh what are your thoughts as we evolve in a people analytics, workforce planning practice, the role of these outsource providers? Yeah, that's a great question. And as you know, Al, I, even at, uh, you know, your, your conference a couple of years ago, I did a whole talk on how much I love building versus buying. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. And there were some companies that are like, oh, eh, eh. Um, eh. But realistically, you know, my stance has softened, uh, you know, quite a bit on that. And, and the reason is that, again, I think that companies are investing in people analytics earlier um, to the point that they just need those foundations. Um, and I think that I even reflected on myself and I thought, you know, yes, I personally like the idea of building it all myself. I, I just like that. I like the idea of being able to understand every single point of my infrastructure um, of where the data are happening. I think... I had some poor early experiences with some products um, that where I felt like they were a little bit black box, um, where they'd say, okay, we're going to set up your data. We're going to make this great integrity, but we're not going to tell you how we do it. We're not going to tell you how we deal with null values. We're not going to do these things. And for me, that, from my perspective, that constrains my ability to serve my stakeholders. If, if a number looks wrong, how, I'm gonna, how am I going to audit that? Um, so as I reflect, I think it really comes down to a, you know, a, let's say a speed versus flexibility um, kind of, you know, value proposition. I think that realistically with a lot of these, I, I'll even call them more boilerplate products, which are great. And I, that's not to be, to, to say anything wrong about them is that they have learned what works for 80% of, uh, of companies. They even have best practices, ways of, of, you know, quantifying a lot of these metrics that are valuable to actually get. And I think that, 90% of companies, when they're starting the first people analytics function, I would actually say, um, let's say if they're under a thousand people, would do well to buy one of those products, if only to understand their data better. I think that where those products start to um, not be as good is when you scale up and you need more flexibility. You need to create these custom metrics. You need to you know, get outside of the the, the typical data structures. You need to really understand and do some weird things like randomization uh, around it. So 
when I think about the build versus buy, I think about how quickly do you need to have these uh, capabilities? And I also think about how much customization do you truly need to provide that first level of value? Because to rebuild, to reinvent that wheel again, and I'm someone who's done this, it's so much fun. And that's for me, but I'm, I think I'm a little bit weird sometimes. Um, but it's a long journey, realistically. And there's going to be a lot of cases where you are running the same formula that another company has built before, and it doesn't make sense from a financial perspective. So that's not really how I think about build, build versus buy. Well, I'm happy you're saying that because, you know, you talk about uh, the need for speed. Mm. I was trying to avoid saying that, uh, but it's true given what's happening in the world today and the need to hire, retain, and you can't spend, you don't have a 12 month roadmap mm. in many cases to get the, the value needs to be delivered within you know a matter of months. And you are obviously a, a creator. You get things done. You see, a, identify need and, and you fill it. Fantastic. Um, I want to get to your product in a second, but before I, it dawned on me as you were sharing that, that, you know, we're talking the same language, you know, we've been in the field for a while. <laughs> and so I see so many HR tech products and even outside of HR talking about their analytics value propositions. So everything from the core HR to an ATS to a learning platform, they all have their analytics module or analytic capability. So it creates a lot of noise, arguably, for the buyer. So I just want to back up and just ask you, you know, what is people analytics to you? How are you defining it? What are some of the boundaries that that you put up just so you can understand it? You can communicate that understanding to others. Yeah. Um, hey, yeah, I got some other thoughts as I was talking as well, but I'll, but I'll answer your question first. And that's that. How do I think about people analytics and how I, de how I describe my work? Right. Um, I think about people analytics is, as any meaningful aggregation of people data. Um, that's how I really think about it. And I think the the core there are aggregation. Um, so I think that people analytics and again, other in other companies, people analytics also has reporting under it. But in my experience is usually that's handled more by the the uh, let's say the workday team or the like to actually do the role of information. So I think about, okay, that aggregation piece and then what's meaningful? How do you surface to decision makers what is a meaningful difference? Something that is actionable, that they actually want to do something at. And I think that a lot of companies out there are very, very good at the aggregation piece. Um, I don't think very many companies are great at the meaningful piece, um, at being able to surface what might be something worth doing making a decision based on and you were mentioning this before that we have so many different systems so many different metrics and data coming coming in and it's an ocean like where, where do you even look and it's somewhat arbitrary where you're going to look um with respect to this so i'm a big fan of um the meaningful piece and that that comes from a lot of you know work and a little bit of you know inferential statistics and the like um but i also think you know the other piece that i thought of al was that there's a lot of tools out there um, that, again, they might be an applicant tracking system or a human resources information system. A lot of their goals these days is to create in-product analytics. They're creating their own dashboards, their own views. I will come out as saying that nine times out of 10, I don't find those views useful. Um, and the reason is because they're assuming that you are using their product in the way that you expect or that they expect. And oftentimes you are not. You're making a different assumption in your um, hiring process than they are. And that's going to bring all of your insights out of whack. And I can cannot count how many times I've had people come up to me saying, oh, how does the, how do these data make sense in our applicant tracking system or in Workday, uh, these aggregations? And I say, I don't know. Um, I really don't. It seems like they're making the, these assumptions. So something I would love to see from more of these vendors is less building their internal people analytics capabilities or their internal analytics dashboards and more about building ways to easily get the data out of their systems into some centralized place. I think that's the goal for people analytics. I don't think you want to be working in your source systems. Rather, you want to have really great um, APIs, really great you know ways of getting the data out um, such that you can unlock that new level of capability. Because at the end of the day, 
companies are going to assume how you work with your data, but um, only some companies will actually really work with you to actually understand what assumptions you're making and how they can tailor your pro their product to help with that. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, this notion of interoperability and you know, still maintaining privacy and you know ethics is something I want to touch on you know as we get towards the end here. But what I want to uh, talk about is your product because you are thinking next step, next step, next step. Not to say this is like three, five years out. You just have identified some uh, gaps in the processes that you would like to fill. So with that as a setup, you know, what are you working on now? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Al, as I was talking about uh, earlier today, um, this product is very much solving for myself. Um, and if I talk, think about, okay, you know, a lot of my work at GitHub, you know, and a lot of work that, you know, other folks did at GitHub is, okay, we have dashboards and everyone is thinking about dashboards as this, um, as this North Star. This is the place we want to get. We want to have this dashboard where we can get all the information we want. And I get that for companies that don't have that right now, that is such a great thing to work towards. And I think that dashboards really fulfill a promise, their promise of being able to serve up insights um, that you are looking for when you're actively see seeking to see, okay, um, is the attrition rate of engineering um, higher uh, in, you know, in May compared to August or something like that? Dashboards are so amazing for doing. They're very much oriented towards that flexibility and that exploration. At the same time, I think that dashboards are very poor um, at the surfacing of insights you are not thinking about. Um, and, you know, I don't know about you, Al, but in, when I think about dashboards in my head, head is that that's also a promise that I was always there, that you're just not, you're just going to magically find these insights, these rich, deep insights that you wouldn't have otherwise seen. Um, but I think that because we orient so much towards the flexibility of dashboards, all these different filters, realistically, it would take, you know, so much time to look at all those different breakdowns, all those different filters all, across those different timestamps to actually find those insights. So my product is basically saying, we don't need people to do that. Um, we have machines that probably much better than ourselves um, can look through those kind of differences across time, across groups and surface what might be, what might be a meaningful insight. Um, and it's solving for myself being that person who is looking click by click in those filters, trying to find those. And again, it's a losing kind of proposition because 90% of the time, people's data are pretty stable. Um, they're going to stay the same, you know, time over time or across groups. And because of that, you really, you know, need to find that needle in a haystack. Um, so what my product does, it's called People Data Bot, is that it automatically surfaces those insights. And it also goes to where you already work. I think that I cannot count the many how many times I've had folks not look at dashboards just because they forget how to get to that separate space. They forget how to get to the Tableau or the Power BI or the like. Um, and I think that realistically, someone also needs to remember that, oh, I should go check this dashboard. And even then, even if they do remember and they do know how to check, that's also extra work to sign into those places and the like. And again, I think that's friction that we don't need right now. And especially HR folks are so overworked in so many places. Um, so my product also surfaces those little um, insights automatically in Slack, in Teams, in email. Um, and again, says, hey, you wanted to keep track of um, your you know, attrition rate. And you said that you wanted to know if it went down or went up by five, you know, 5%. That happened. Here's what seems to be driving it. Here's a link to a dashboard where you can explore further. So that's pretty much the gist of it. Yeah, I, I'm smiling because it takes away that uh, arguably fun part, but also anguishing part of doing analytics because you are exploring. You're going, oh, God, that looks cool. That's, however, is that the most valuable activity of an analyst, uh, no, it's not. You know the you know unearthing that and then packaging it and communicating it out either through an automated form as you're talking about or through conversation and, and storytelling. You know that is immeasurably more valuable you know to an organization. So I certainly celebrate what you're doing. Although 
<laughs> I can't, I gotta be honest. I really enjoyed that aspect of, of the, you know, exploration discovery, you know, applying the logic, but a computer, a robot is going to do it much, much better than me, you know, and particularly at scale, at speed, when you have so many scenarios. So that's what I was curious about as you were sharing that. Uh, is that, um, how is it programmed? You know, how are the thresholds identified? Is that uh, company to company? Is that um, set by the individual? Is that set by the people analytics leader? You know, what is yeah, that? Yeah, and that's another, that's a great question. That's another key part of the product actually is that, you know, I can build the da Tableau dashboard right now and I could color code it. Um, and I could say, oh, you wanted to have, um, you know, whatever attrition rate was above, you know, this percentage, um, that is going to be color coded in red. You can do that right now. But that's assuming that everybody needs to be informed at the same level, at the same level of difference. And I don't think that's true. I think that an HRVP, uh, for example, or a human resources business partner is going to want to hear about, let's say, a one or two percent difference in attrition rate, whereas a CHRO, um, they might only need to hear about a 5% difference in attrition rate. So the product is very much built such that each individual user can set their own uh, limits and their own sort of preferences around what would be a meaningful difference for them on this metric. And then the bot is going to automatically surface things to them and personalize it. Um, because again, I think that we for too long have taken a one-size-fits-all approach um, to dashboarding and these insights. And realistically, stakeholders at different levels need different amounts of information and have different triggers at which a data change or difference is meaningful. Now, I, I absolutely, I mean, I'm just envisioning actually using mm -hmm. something like that because I don't want to, okay, it's Friday and I set a reminder for myself to go look at the dashboard, but I have so many other things going on, something built up. I got to respond there. And if I go there, what am I really mm. looking for? Am I just going to, okay, you know, attrition go up or, you know, what's, what's the purpose. But if I have the confidence that something is going to get elevated to me, if it is in fact a concern, then I don't have to spend that time, you know, doing that, you know, discovery. Mm. So no, I certainly appreciate the value proposition. One of the things that I would be remiss in, uh, if I did not bring it up is this, the notion of ethics and what I call responsible use. Cause as you have these uh, exception reporting or for lack of a better term uh, to, to say, you know, something that gets pushed, it invites the question, you know, what is getting pushed? What's the underlying data and where are the boundaries? You know, one of the roles arguably, and I'd be interested in your thoughts of a people analytics leader is to understand when, to say no and for what purpose. So can you talk a little bit about your view of ethics and how a people analytics leader has a role in identifying the boundaries and, and saying yeah, no? Yeah, exactly. I think that, I also think we're getting into sort of data, data governance territory, right? It's also who should yeah. see what, um, and are there places where we might not want to make a decision based on something, right? Um, even if, you know, other things would suggest that. So when I think about data governance, um, you know, first things first, I'll say that, you know, in any sort of, you know, chat or email or the like, uh, any identity that would be with sort of the people data bot product, um, you can have those, you know, role-based access kind of set up um, for that. But when we actually think about data governance, who do you choose, What who sees what? Um, that's a big process. And I always say that at GitHub, you know, one of my best friends was our data privacy council. We, we chatted all the time around this because it's, it's meaningful, right? Um, and I think that what I always come back to um, is what is the minimum amount of data that somebody needs to see in order to make a business decision? So as an example, I think about, you know, does a, um, does a, you know, HR ops person, do they need to see um, information about people's gender or ethnicity um, in a rich way? Maybe not. Um, they might be, ha have a use of seeing that information of aggregate, but not the individual names. In contrast, there might be some legitimate cases where a an HRPP and human resources business partner, they might have legitimate use uh, case to see those individual sort of you know gender ethnicity, um, where uh, in order to sort of investigate something or to work with people to protect um, their their stakeholders. Um, so I always come back to 
what is the information that is necessary um, to, for people to um, you know, do their jobs well and to serve their stakeholders? And what is the information that we need to really protect that's personally identifiable, mm. um, that might be a sensitive topic? The, the example I always give, um, and this is actually quite relevant around kind of data infrastructure, because I think that a lot of people on Alex teams, when they start out, they actually tag on to more general data infrastructure um, around the databases and the like. Unfortunately, a lot of those databases have don't have role-based access control yet. So anybody who has access to that will be able to see everything in there. And I even say to myself, hey, mm. I want to set up, um, I want to set up, you know, barriers for myself um, to come across information that I don't need to see. I don't need to see someone's, you know, self-identified sexual orientation. Um, that's their own information. I might aggregate that at some point if there's a business case to look at that for uh, an employee resource group or the like. But I want to set up those protections in place. Now, when I think about the second part of the question, which is very much around, okay, what if we find a, an insight? What is the limit around what we should actually do with these, these data? And I think about, are, are we serving um, the employees and the company at the end of the day? Um, are we getting towards where we want to be? I think a lot about actually ethics in machine learning, um, because in machine learning, um, we are essentially looking at the past and we're replicating in the future. If you think about a lot of companies when they look at, and this has happened at larger companies, if you don't think about the people that in a special way, you're going to see, okay, let's look at the highest performers in an organization and let's work back from that to see who we should hire. But if you don't add the right controls, you might end up just replicating being a white male, which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate, right? But obviously there's certain groups of people who have had many, you know, headwinds or tailwinds that have helped them get to a certain place. And if we don't add the right controls, we're going to replicate that same structure and we're not going to see, give the opportunity for other people who can contribute a lot to make those contributions. So I think that you always need to bear in mind for this insight, if we're going to make a decision based on this, an action, we're going to hire differently, we're going to promote differently. I really advocate for looking at adverse impact. You know, if we were to take this approach, if we were to change this hiring process, if we look at our past data, would that have changed um, the ratios of people that are have, were hired in a way that we might not like? Um, I'm also a fan, again, of being data, in, data informed and not data driven. And again, there are some places, I, I talk about this use case where let's say that you have a business and in your business, specifically you're selling um, to an area of the world that might have certain um, biases. Um, in that situation, your salespeople who don't come from, um, let's say a white male background, um, will legitimately do poor in that scenario. But does that mean they're not doing the right things? No, right? And it's important to think about. Um, and we can talk about this all day um, around it, but realistically, I think that these are people at the end of the day. Um, we always need to bring ourselves back to it. We, we get excited about the day, we think about it. I always get excited about these things, but I always need to bring myself back and say, these are people. And, the, and when we make decisions about them, we're impacting people's lives. And we need to think about what kind of company do we want to be? How do we want our philosophy um, to be represented in our decisions. And there are some places where I actually proactively advocate that you don't take the pure data-driven route uh, because that will lead you down a path of, again, continuing to have barriers for people who've had barriers for far too long. Yeah, oh, well, thank you for saying that. And uh, it's like, <laughs> amen. <laughs> Just like, this is something that I, is not uh, broadly understood outside mm. the people analytics field. And I think, I and others that we need to do better in communicating that out to understand that, hey, you know, because there's a, there's a reluctance, there's this fear, there's an anxiety. Oh, you're studying people, you're doing research projects on on people. Do they know it? You know, are you being transparent? And all? Yes, you need to communicate it. You need to be tr transparent. At the same time, to your point, this has a virtuous purpose behind it. As I've long said, not only do we have an opportunity to do right by the employee by the worker we have a responsibility mm. 
to do so. And the business value downstream from that are, has proven to be, you know, evident, you know, throughout the past 20 plus years. So, you know, I'm excited about where the field is going. It is growing. You know, so a few more questions before uh, we wrap, because I could talk to you all day, because you started to touch on, you know, unconscious bias and potentially bias and the algorithms and the, and the data and so forth. But I want to ask you, uh, back to the technologies, like there's a bunch of employee a listening employee experience, you know, vendors out there, and there's uh, they're collecting data that um, at a heightened level of frequency. Uh, it's sometimes new data, so that is my question. What new data do you think uh, we are in this place? We're able to create new, more appropriate data to answer the questions leaders want or need to know, or does the data that we need already, you know, mm. exist? That's a great talk? question. Um, my first answer to that question will be that I think that companies who are just starting out should focus on the basics, um, should really understand the core kind of stuff that's going to come out of your human resources information system, like your Workday or your Bamboo, um, and out of your, your applicant tracking system, like your Greenhouse or your Lever. Um, I think that a lot of times companies can get a little bit distracted when they're in early in their journeys in chasing these really cool, shiny things. Um, beyond that, do I think there are valuable data sets um, that go outside of the, the general kind of space? For sure. Um, and those I get extra excited about. Actually, I did an entire talk on non-traditional data sets. Um, one of my sort of experiences around this was, you know, we had a question around sort of uh, some competition um, and around um, even sort of the scope of WeWorks um, that, you know, it would be able to serve us. And we didn't actually have a data set around it. And I ended up just web scraping that information. Um, I'm actually a big fan of web scraping to say, okay, what information is actually readily available online and in consistent formats that we can just get that and then we can compare that. Um, I'm also a fan of dealing, um, again, and you need to be very careful around privacy around this, but in aggregate um, with badge data. Um, I think that we're coming in out of, hopefully, um, this you know pandemic and we're getting this whole return to the office kind of space. One of my earliest projects at GitHub actually was actually looking at um, employee performance um, and other outcomes like attrition and the like, um, comparing folks who came into the office a lot versus didn't come into the office because they weren't forced to come into the office. And long story short, the outcome was actually that there were better outcomes for the slightly better outcomes for the company for the employees who didn't come into the office all the time which is not what the stakeholders were expecting the board was specifically trying to force github to have more folks in the office um and by surfacing those data from the badge from the from the badge people coming in and out of the office we were to say hey this actually really works for github this really really works for our for our company um and the like so i think that when you have that strong use case um he's already described it when you have that strong use case um, and it's really a problem that you don't feel can be readily served by the data that you have, seek out those data for sure. Um, at the same time, make sure that ask is a strong priority and that you're not, mm, you're not uh, avoiding or you know, missing some much lower hanging fruit um, that is already existing in your, in, your, right. in your data sets. I think that there's a lot of cool additional signals that are coming out, as you say, continuous listening and the like. When I think about continuous listening, the first thing that I say is that survey not based on um, how much um, you can get that information, but how much you can act on that information, uh, because otherwise it's going to, folks are going to see the value prop of it. Right. Yeah. And it could mm -hmm. be counterproductive to your point. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we fast forward over time, where do you see the space mm. going? Yeah. Um, I think that people analytics, um, Right now, it's that shiny new thing. Like again, like you and I, yourself more even more than myself, have been working this space for a while, and I think that you've also seen the so much new energy and how much this is taking off right now. Um, I think that that energy is amazing, but we're going to get towards more of that space of this is expected. This is what a modern organization has is a people analytics function, and I think that we're going to get more towards. Um, doing some uh, similar thing, having some standards and, you know, talking more um, and it being less of that scrappy little community uh, around it. I think it's going to be more like, hey, we're kind of like a product analytics function because, again, people are such an important input um, to um, the organization's success. So I do really see the space 
getting more towards that um, place of not being that shiny new kid on the block um, and more being an important part of organizations. I think that the risk and my fear in that case is that we just keep to what's expected and what we've always done in that kind of space and stop innovating, stop trying new things. As I said, you know, my entire product, um, People Databot, is about, again, I think that most companies have sort of said, oh, we are going to, in our people analytics function, go for what we've seen in our marketing function, in our data function. Um, they just get these dashboards and that's what they use. And what I'm saying is that I think that once people analytics gets to that space of, again, being that expectation, we don't need to limit ourselves um, to what other um, analytics functions are doing. We don't need to just copy that. We can go above and beyond um, because we have a really, really interesting set of data. I always like to say people data are messy and that's what makes them fun. Um, and it, it very much is a different perspective. So I think that would be my hope for the future of people analytics functions is that even though we're going to become more expected, more consistent, um, I hope that we keep on innovating. We keep on trying new things um, and learning from it because, again, people's decisions are so impactful and that's such a heavy responsibility for us. And at the end of the day, I don't want us to get complacent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm smiling because, I, number one, I really am hopeful towards that end that I view us as a discipline as electricians. So, you know, we're mm. always going to need electricity, but there's only one plug in our organizational wall right now. In many cases, some don't even have plugs they are going by candlelight, but there's going to be a lot of plugs mm. around the house as there are most houses and the efficiency and effectiveness of that delivery mechanism, as well as the, the power that you get out of it, you know, is going to improve over time. Uh, but I am fearful a little bit that it's going to be taken for granted and that, you know, the electricians like plumbers are underappreciated and, and they just assume, hey, just it should work because it does take work and it is a creative discipline and you've done some outstanding work. And I'm so excited for your product to get out there and, and people to adopt it because I, you know, that for lack of a better term, the way I'm interpreting is like exception reporting that's delivered, you know, on time, and, you know, so you can actually, to your earlier point too, act on it. And that's, you know, that's where it happens. You know, if there's, if we're doing this work and there's no action taking place, then you know, it begs the question, you know, yeah, why are we doing for, it at all? For sure. And I think yeah. you mentioned earlier, like, you know, there's that, there's that element of exploration and exploration is fun. Um, and I do that as well. I think that, you know, people data bought definitely wouldn't prevent that. In fact, it's about saying, here are the cool places where you might want to explore, where you can find some extra interesting things when you do explore. Um, and I think that, again, realistically, it's about that first filter um, and that surfacing and the like. And the thing I think about as well is that I myself am biased. I myself am biased of where I want to look and what I'm excited about, what I'm interested in. And that's a realistic problem. And that's why I, I actually always called out in my people analytics work is that I'm coming from my own place. I um, have my own interests um, in, you know, you know, this result versus another, but here's what the data are showing me um, around it. And that's where I really come to it. But again, yeah, it's, I want us to keep on being those innovators. I keep on wanting us to be that scrappy kind of function and to not sort of, you know, be taken for granted. And, and again, for us to take our situations for granted um, as sort of the people who ha have done, done, done this for a while. Um, but again, I keep on seeing from, from the field, there's so much excitement. Um, there's so many great new talent. I, you know, Al, like I still think of myself as that new kid, in, kid on the block sometimes. And I realize I'm really not anymore. I'm getting older, Al. Um, exactly. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Embrace. But there's so much great new energy. Yeah. And I think that no, it... I think that sometimes we might have a bias towards um, sort of saying, here's what we have done historically. Here's sort of the best practices. And I think that ourselves as people who have been in this space for a while, we really need to open ourselves up for people who are newer and have new ideas that realistically might serve the needs of the organization in ways that we can't even imagine because we came up in a different sort of space of, of the workplace. Um, so it's just so much fun. Amen. A a absolutely. Amen. And that's, uh, I, you know, I cannot emphasize that point enough. So there needs to be an openness, not only among people on looks leaders who've been around for a while, but CHROs and others who are going to mm -hmm. be commissioning this work is that their idea of what's going to work 
might not be appropriate given mm -hmm. the realities of today and the capabilities of the technologies and the creativity of the people that are in the field. So no, I think that's a really, really important point. So thank you for voicing it. So as we start to wrap, I mean, how can people learn more about you and what yeah, you're Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Um, I do a good amount of posts there. So feel free to check me out there. It's Jared Valdron. Uh, that's uh, J-A-R-E-D-V-A-L-D-R-O-N. Um, beyond that, um, I have a website for people, people data bot. Um, it's just how it sounds. You can look that up. Um, I have a little demo there. Um, and you know, again, reach out, um, you know, chat, uh, happy to learn more about what, what y'all are doing. And I think that again, I also have a bit of a practice. And again, this is comes back to my automation of things and that sometimes people will ask me questions. I can say, I've written a blog on that. Here you go. Um, and that sort of helps around that. But again, it's also me getting feedback for what I've written to see, okay, do I need to do an edit on this? Is there something that's missing around it? Mm. Um, yeah, that's how to reach out. And then uh, beyond that, I'm hoping to get out to conferences again soon. So uh, yeah, I I'm hoping so. to see uh, yeah. some additional folks there. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. And uh, Jared, man, I got to compliment you. Congratulations on what you've achieved. I love that you are a learner. I love that you're a creator and you're a giver. And it's just it's just fun to be around. So thanks. It, keep doing the great work. And uh, we'll talk soon, hopefully in person. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And Al, I want to thank you for all you do for the People Alex community. Uh, and again, I know it's been sort of uh, a tough couple of years in general for a lot of folks who love those in-person experiences. And I think that what you've been able to do in sort of keeping that community going, uh, despite everything that the world is going through, it's so exciting. And I'm so so glad that uh, and hopeful that we're going to you know meet up again on, on this flip side. Uh, yeah, we, we will. But thank you for that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. All right, my friend, you be well. And we'll talk again soon. Yeah? Sounds good. Cheerio. Thank you for listening today. If you want to learn more about today's guests, go to pafal.net. You'll be able to see links to the bio as well as to the video of today's program. You'll also have the chance to support this podcast and other shows that we do by becoming a Pafal community member. You can also donate if you choose. What will be helpful to support Pafal, the People Data for Good Movement, and me will be to share this episode with friends and coworkers and others who might find it valuable. Finally, for updates on upcoming episodes, shows, and events, please subscribe to our newsletter at pafal.net. At the bottom, you can also see our social media presence. So please subscribe to our company page on LinkedIn. Follow us on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. We're active as can be, and we want to provide this content to you that is timely, relevant, and actionable. So again, thank you for listening today and hope to see you soon. I also want to give a shout out to Jenna Dern, Malaz El-Sheikh, and Sarah Sparnan, who without them, this show would not happen. And now go out and make some great things happen.